This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. Welcome to today's episode of Stories of Strength, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. I'm your host, Jay Cardiello, and today I'm speaking to a man with many talents. Most notably, he's an actor, a comedian, and entrepreneur. Greg Davis Jr., also known as Clarity, was one of the pioneers of short-form internet comedy, amassing over 4 million followers on the Vine app. Greg overcame a ton of adversity, from growing up in a tough neighborhood in Orlando, Florida, to working his way up in Los Angeles for 10 years while trying to break out in entertainment. Then, after finally tasting success, the Vine app collapsed at the height of Greg's popularity, meaning he had to invent himself again. Greg is here to share his fascinating journey with us. Welcome, Greg. Clarity, how are you? It's an honor to have you on the show, brother. Jay, what's going on, bro? Uh, it's a good night. It's a good night. It's an honor to have you, my brother. So, Clarity, before we jump into your acting career and all about your business, can you tell me a little about your childhood and what you learned from it? I learned a few things from my childhood. There was a few people that I learned concrete things from, right? My grandmother was one. My grandmother was a Jamaican Caribbean grandmother, so she taught me how to swim by letting me go in the ocean and letting me drown until I learned how to swim. That was one of those lessons that she taught me early. And she taught me that grandmothers and grandparents are supposed to be the ones that spoil you. That wasn't my grandmother, man. She was an immigrant and they were tough. So she was always trying to instill lessons in me that was going to prepare me for the real world, that nothing's going to be given to you, that's going to be handed to you, you got to work for everything, especially with her mentality being an immigrant. So I learned from her just as a child that on the spot, fight or flight, right? And so whether it was swimming or whatever else it was, I learned that if you're thrown into the fire, if you're thrown into the shit, you got to figure it out and survive. And sometimes you can't just dip your toe in there. Someone's got to like drop you. And the way she did it, I was in the ocean on vacation with her, my grandmother, my mom. And I was hanging on her back and she just lifted her arms and like threw me off. (laughs) That's how she did it. She was pretty cold. That's a lesson I learned there. And then from my father, I learned about there's two things that I can still hear to this day. He was always like, son, handle your business. Always handle your business. He taught me about hygiene. From a kid, he was like, sure you shower, you on deodorant, brush your teeth, put in mouthwash, put on cologne, lotion. Always telling me, do take pride in your appearance. He always taught me, even if you have a dollar in your pocket, make it look like you got more than that. Not about faking the funk, but just about taking pride in your appearance. So he taught me the the simple things about like hygiene. Those are those lessons. And, And then with that, he was always like, son, just handle your business. Just handle your business. Make sure you always handle your business. Yeah, and you have been. I've known you for quite some time, and you are one to definitely follow his lessons. So I can definitely say cahoots to him, and it's just some great life lessons that you did learn. It makes me think back to a time, because my grandmother did the same thing to me. I had a Polish immigrant grandmother, and we were on vacation once, and that's how I learned to swim. She just threw me in the ocean. I was just fighting to get back in. Now, growing up, you were exposed to a lot of violence, and at a young age, at the age of six, you actually witnessed a shooting. How did incidents like that affect you, and how have you been able to process them now, years later? Yeah, I saw my next-door neighbor, twin brother, shot his twin brother. Wow. And I was too young to understand what happened. This girl came to the front door screaming, and I thought she was playing a game. I didn't know what crying was. I didn't know what it meant. It's like I shot. 
So I was just like looking there confused and I started smiling and I went and got my parents because I was like, uh, somebody's at the front door. I didn't say it like that. I was, she was just being frantic. I remember like flashes of it. She was like, and I was just like, are we playing charades? But she was trying to get help. She was coming next door to ask for my parents to call 911 because somebody just got shot literally right next door. But I didn't really understand the magnitude of what happened. That's what I lived next to. I started, I started seeing that kind of stuff way early on. So I'm kind of desensitized to a lot of stuff, unfortunately. Now, in terms of growing up like that, do you feel that looking back, that was a negative or a positive in your life that how maybe you can teach lessons to other people or how did you take things like that? It's neither. It's not about it being negative or positive because I think that kind of stuff early grows you up fast, makes you tougher for life. You're not really shocked by a lot of stuff. I'm not soft in that regard. I'm not saying there's something wrong with being soft or not being soft. I'm just saying I'm not easily like, oh no, it's, I've seen some stuff. I don't think it's good or bad. I think it is what it is. I saw what I was meant to see at that time because that was my path to prepare me for whatever else I was going to deal with in life. That's how I look at it. I don't regret it, but it's nothing to brag about either, seeing violence early. Like no kid should be seeing violence early, but I just saw it and that's just what I knew. I didn't know anything different. Plus, you turn on the TV, they reflect the imagery back to you that you see in your own neighborhoods, especially growing up in the 80s and 90s. Every show, every movie that you saw was violence, Black people and violence. That's the propaganda they put out there in the film and TV. So I thought that shit was normal. When I was a kid, I'm watching movies like Boys in the Hood and Men's Society. If I look up on TV and I see an all-Black neighborhood doing that, and I look up in real life and I'm in a Black neighborhood, I don't know nothing different. They're not showing me nothing else on TV. So I thought that was normal. Yeah. Well, I want to say one thing. Knowing you as a friend, I feel that what you've been through growing up has made you not only humble, but very easy in a sense to talk to. You're a man of world knowledge and you're cosmopolitan in a sense. So I think... When I look at it, that perspective, what you've been through and what you've gone through and what you've witnessed, it's actually just a great human being because in the sense that you're able to expand your mind beyond possibilities that I could never even fathom. But in the sense that you have such world knowledge that when I ask for you for help, you always want to be able to not only give it to me, but provide answers that I would never even think of. So I, I want to say that maybe you say it was negative nor positive. I think it wasn't a positive because it did affect you later on in life of how it made you as a man. For sure. So in a positive in that light, because you can go both sides, but I'll say positive because it did affect me. It showed me what I did not want to be and what I did not want to become. It showed me what I did want to stay away from. And that's when my parents were determined to like do better so they can get me up out of there. They didn't really let me play outside a lot because they didn't want me involved in that. Neighborhood kids would come over and say, it's Greg outside. Can they come out and play? And my parents was not with it. My dad was like, hell no, nah, he's not going out. You're not going outside with these brothers. <laughs> So they tried to get me involved in every activity possible because I was an active kid. I wanted to go outside and play. There was nobody that they wanted me hanging around with. They knew where that was going to end up for me. It's a 10-year lifespan on that, if that, from that point. So that's how they started getting me involved in all these activities, anything just to keep me out from being in the streets, I guess, which is how acting and all that came up because they just didn't want me just going outside and playing. Speaking of acting, you graduated high school in 2003 and then moved to L.A. a week later. Did your parents, were they upset about that since you didn't go into a traditional role of college or were they very supportive about you moving out to L.A.? No, nah, hell no. Nah. My dad was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> My dad was pissed because I had already gotten accepted into the University of Florida on an academic scholarship. Oh, wow. And I had went on a college tour already. was about to pick up my dorm. And 
Then all of a sudden, like a week before I graduated, I dropped the bombshell. I was like, I think I want to move to LA and pursue being an actor. And my dad was like, <laughs> this, you got to be kidding me. Because <laughs> he was from the hood too. And he knew I had an opportunity to get out, to make it out. And I didn't have to make it out because of a jump shot or some rap song. He knew that his son was smart. He just didn't want me ending up like everybody else from this neighborhood. And he knew I had a real opportunity. And also him, he didn't get to go to school, although he could have went to school. I think he got accepted into Morehouse because he wanted to go get into architecture. But his dad didn't let him go to school. He made him stay home and run the family business. Because at that time, my family had a garbage truck business in the 70s that my grandfather started. And then my dad and his two brothers, the sons took over, grew it to a million dollars. And so my dad was like the really, really smart one. Mary was smart, but my dad was like the brains. He had all the relationships. He's like me. Like I know all people all over the world. I'm from where I'm from, but I can get a banker on the phone in five minutes. I can get a Wall Street trader. I can get a VEO. I can get you. I can get like, people like Jackie on the phone. I like, get a phone call, get courtside the nets. I just know all of these people just from my experiences in life. That's how my dad was. And I think that's where I get it from. And my mom was telling me, my dad knew everybody early on. So because of that relationship, and he was smart, my grandfather, he only trusted the business with him, essentially. So when my dad wanted to go to college, my grandfather, the difference is back in those days, you didn't have a choice. Like you could be a grown ass man and your dad's telling you, you're not going to do this. It's like, I am 32, sir. But back then you were so afraid of being disrespectful and dishonorable. Kids listen to their parents, even as grown adults. And so he never got a chance to go. And I think he regretted that always. So when he saw the same thing happening with me, I think maybe he had a flash and maybe was afraid I'm going to end up the same way like him because every parent wants their kid to be better than them. He said, son, I get so upset with you. I know you got the potential. If you ain't had the potential, I wouldn't say nothing to you. Because I know you have the potential, that's why I'm on you so hard because I want you to do better because I know you can do better. And that's the kind of stuff he used to always, he was country, he was Southern dude. So he had all these metaphors and sayings like, son, go out there and get your job. Son, go out there. But he was smart. So my dad was pissed that I chose not to go. I don't know if he had a flash. He saw him happening all over again. But he wasn't pissed because he didn't believe in me. He just wanted to surefire away. He was always about like, handle your business, get your business. Like, this good. You want to be an actor? You want to do all that? That's good. But learn what to do with your money. You can be an actor and get your money, but invest your money. Own your own businesses. Own your companies. That's what he always instilled in me. So he was afraid that I wasn't going to do any of that. So his being pissed was probably that. My mom was supportive. I think she was just scared. Mom's just going to do whatever they're going to do. Moms are going to support you no matter what, right? So my mom, she was the creative my dad was the books and the business guy. So she probably had a little bit more leniency toward my decision because she was in the theater <laughs> and a dancer and a performer and all that stuff. So she understands. Like if one day my daughter's like, Daddy, I want to go be an actress. I'll probably be pissed at first. But I understand if she gave me a cohesive answer on how an artist thinks, I'd be like, all right, man, cool. But like... But my dad's side would be like, yeah, but if you always wait on a paycheck from somebody else, you're going to be waiting until you die because then they control your pockets and they control your stream of your income. My mom was supportive. My dad was pissed. But ultimately, he believed in me. and He knew I had the talent. He just wanted to make sure that I never became a slave to like this industry or to what like they gave me. He wanted to make sure I was very well like independent. So, Whenever you speak about your father, your face lights up. 
It's interesting. And it really makes me think about a quote, thinking back from my dad. My dad told me this quote. He said, 5% of the people in this world make things happen. 15% watch things happen. 80% don't know what the heck is going on. When you speak about your father, it reminds me a lot of my father because my father instilled those same beliefs in me. It's just that he was that book smart. He was that person in business. And he said, hold your own up there. You get in the ring of life, hold your own. So you moved in 2003, but Vine didn't start up really until about 2013. Tell me of the 10 years between. What were you attempting to do while you were with those 10 years? I moved to L.A. a week after high school. So continuing that story, that was pissed. So I ended up dropping out or not dropping out, not even following through with going to UF. I moved to L.A. a week after I graduated high school and started chasing my dreams of becoming an actor right then and there. So from 2003 to 2013, I mean, I had done some jobs. I had been on some shows, booked some guest stars, but nothing that really moved the needle to where I could just relax. So those 10 years was a lot of just trying to make it, just grinding, auditions, first moving out there, going through waves of wanting to be an actor, quitting, not wanting to be an actor. At one point, I got really heavily involved in church. So I was like really on this high spiritual kick, just volunteering. I quit acting and became really involved in church. And I went through many different waves before Vine came around. Vine was Definitely a blessing that I didn't know I needed that came that I definitely was trying to brush off when it first came about because I thought my blessing was going to come in a certain package in a certain way. And because it didn't look like how I thought it was supposed to look, I almost overlooked it. A lot of us do that. And I'm so glad I didn't do that. We pray and we ask God for help and for answers and things in life, universe, however, whatever your thing is, whatever your jam is. But I was always praying and ask God for things and blessings and vision and everything in life that you pray for. And so a lot of times you pray and you want these answers and you want it the way you envision it. And I feel like a lot of times God sends these answers, but it doesn't come in the way that we think. And so we overlook it, whether it's a person, a job, I need some money. All right. Well, the door has been opened up for you to get this job. And you may not gotten the lump sum that you needed, but you got the job that will pay you. Sometimes you want a yacht to save you, but a person on the life raft comes by and you like, you need help? Yeah, 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 but not from you. Keep going. <laughs> it's like, fool, you can't swim forever, but all right, I'm out. Peace. Yeah. And God's looking at, this is what you asked me for. So that's what Vine was. So for those 10 years, man, it was just a lot of up and down, a lot of struggling, the typical LA or trying to make a struggle story, up, downs, jobs here, no jobs. I was homeless. Like a year before I blew up on Vine, I was sleeping on my church's community center. I would sneak in and sleep on the floor or on the couch just so I can have somewhere to sleep at night. And I would like wake up in the morning, go take a shower at a friend's house or go take a shower in the bathroom in the community center. And when I started making Vines, I was still in that position. And so that's what I did for those 10 years. And then Vine came out. Rest is history, I guess. Yeah. So going back to those lowest moments, how did you deal with the negativity? At the time, a lot of prayer. I was really, really heavy in my spiritual walk, praying a lot, asking God just in church. I have two people in my life that I really cling on to to this day, especially when I'm still going through it. Sometimes I call my mom and she's like my other mom, she's like my spiritual mom. But these women are women that I trust my whole soul and spirit with to pray over me, to remind me of scripture. And those are the women I go to. And then on my own, you know, a lot of times, like even now, I'll just in my house when I'm home alone, I'll blast like some praise and worship music. And I'll just like walk through the house meditating on my own, really trying to pray and call out to God when I'm really feeling like I'm under attack mentally or whatever. Like those are the things I deal with and have dealt with and how I've dealt with it. 
And that's how I still continue to deal with it. I don't really like to believe or accept or take on stress. I believe there's only one real way to be mentally free. And that's when your soul and your spirit's intact. Other than that, we have no chance out here. Those are the things I still lean on to this day. I was having episodes the past two weeks when I was just like, Lord, you, you, I need you. If I don't get no restitute, any peace with you, I'm not going to make it. I think we've all had those moments. I too have been homeless before and, and you and I have talked about it and stuff. And I find myself on my knees calling out to the Lord every day and really asking specifically for my needs and for my wants, not just, hey, Lord, please send me this. No, it's really specific these days. And it's just the more specific it is, I know, I know that I'm going to be blessed accordingly. Yeah, exactly. That's how I spend a lot of that time is being very specific with God. Very, very, very specific with my prayers. And yeah, man, it's always what's got me through. I've been feeling like a draw lately to get back closer to that walk where I was. That's the thing that makes me thrive the most. It's like being without water in the desert. You can't survive. You're going to be dying of thirst. Your soul needs that. Our souls and our spirits needs more than what the world has to offer it. So true. Now, switching gears for a moment, your passion about fitness, what age does that start for you? I've always kind of been passionate about fitness, even before I knew it. I was always a little athlete. I always liked playing sports, whether it's basketball, growing up, I loved playing basketball. I just knew I was going to be in the NBA, but my height told me otherwise when I got older. I was always like in karate and martial arts and stuff. I was always like an athlete, I guess, so to speak. Part of the things that my dad and my mom was like, yeah, we want to keep him active. But, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know what fitness education is. It was just more or less just like being a kid. And, you know, you go outside and playing and running around and playing basketball and playing football. Like that was my fitness. But I never like consciously like worked out, lifted weights, did cardio. Just when you're a kid, you get your cardio just by running, you know, running around outside. But I've always been an athlete and didn't work out. I think my fitness and I always like lifted weights in high school because when you're on the football team, you had to lift weights. So that's what you did. You just lift weights to get big so you can just be the best player you can be. But there was no fitness educational element to it. I hated running long distance. I didn't really get hit to fitness, like in a real way. Like, I, yeah, I did it over the years. And in 2015, 16, 14, I was always trying to like, but I didn't really get hit to fitness until like 2017. 2017, 18 is when I really started understanding what I was doing to my body and why and how and having a plan and getting with trainers that really knew how to transform my body. Wow, that's amazing. Didn't know it was that time. I thought it was much. See, I, I've seen you work out in the gym. That's why you're very good. You have a great form. You're very good at what you do. I just thought it was maybe for at least 20 to 30 years. So that's amazing. That's really. I mean, I've always worked out, like I said, but like, that knowledge and the understanding why, like I'm not playing no sports now in any capacity, but like I work out, like I'm trying out for the combine still because once an athlete, always an athlete. It's just in your head. It's just embedded in your head. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you a question. Can you tell me what the story behind your name is, Clarity? So I got this name because I used to be, well, I mean, I still am, I guess, but I haven't written or performed in a while. I used to be a spoken word artist, like poetry, and uh, I used to love it. I used to write all the time, and I performed locally in L.A. In that circle, it wasn't that big and popular, so it wasn't much for people to request you. But I would get up and spit here and there, and my name started getting a little bit of buzz, I guess. I don't know. But like enough to where people would ask me, like, yo, can you come do some spoken word? Can you perform? And I started being asked a lot. 
And I was like, yeah. And I wanted to take it seriously. And I thought that to take it seriously, we need a name. So one day I'm with a friend of mine and we're trying to come up with a name that I guess if I'm going to like take this spoken word life seriously, I need to have like a poet name because all the ones I was watching, they had names, right? They had some cool little alias names. You just go up, coming to the stage, Greg Davis. No, no one wants to hear <laughs> what you got to say, like in rhyme. Like you got to have a cool name, like Deep Thought or like Black Einstein. I wanted a cool name, man. I saw these other cool people with these dope names. I saw this one woman perform 10 years ago, man. She was so dope. A female spoken word artist. She was sick. And her name was Genetics, right? But she spelled it differently. Her name was like Jeanette, like Janet. But it's like she combined her name to Genetics, like the DNA of her makeup. But I thought her name was so cool. So every time she would perform, coming to the stage, Genetics. And I'd be like, damn, that's cool, man. So I would see all these really like, for real professional spoken word artists come up and spit with these names. So I was like, I need a name because I'm starting to get asked to perform a lot. I remember this like it was yesterday. And the reason I mentioned this TV, this the day I came up with this name. This is when Game of Thrones had just came out, season one. And I was at, called him Coach Dan. He's an old coach, fitness guy. I would stay at his house like I was working out during the summer, just chilling. And this is when Game of Thrones that first came out before it became Game of Thrones, literally season one, episode, whatever. And I remember it was on in the background. And that's when I first started watching Game of Thrones. So this was like 2012. And I remember me and my friend were over there because he would train us both. So all day we were trying to think of like these spoken word poetry names because I wanted to change my Twitter handle to my poet name because at the time Twitter was bigger. Instagram wasn't even a thing yet. Like Instagram, they didn't even have video. It wasn't what it was. So like nobody cared about Instagram. It was all about like Twitter. So I wanted to change my Twitter handle so I can have a cool Twitter name. So all day long with Game of Thrones in the background, I wasn't paying attention. I was like, what is this medieval show? What is this crap? I'm not interested in this. This is before it became what and I knew what it was. But anyways, that's the funny thing. I wasn't paying attention to Game of Thrones. I'm trying to think of these names. And so... She was like, tell me, what do you want people to think of when you hear your name? I was like, well, I want people to think of this. I want to think of that. I want people to be free, liberated of people having, if they're depressed or down, having a down day. I want them to listen to one of my pieces. And now they're having a positive day, an up day. Like if you're experiencing darkness, you can experience light. You know, all these things, when you hear a piece of mind, like what does that do to you, affect you? How does that affect your soul? I wrote down all these things. She said, write down a bunch of words that come to your mind. So I was writing down these words. Got it. So I had come up with one word. It was cool, but it didn't. It wasn't meaningful. Come up with a name. I think the name was wordplay because I'm good at playing on words. Like when I write, I'm good at rhyming something twice and having a double entendre. Like that's one of my skill sets. So I was like, my name's gonna be wordplay. And she was like, yeah, that's cool, but whatever. And I kind of didn't feel it. It felt kind of forced and contrived, but it was literally the definition of what my skill set was. So. I wrote down all these words. So hours later, about eight hours later, she calls me. She left. She got tired of waiting. She called me. She was like, yo, I think I have your name. And I was like, what? After about five these different options, she was like, what about clarity? And I was like, clarity? And I wrote it down. She, I was like, uh, she said, look up the definition. So I looked up the definition of clarity. And it was like clean with our clear thought or spot or stain or sand, all these cool definitions. So, okay. That's kind of, yeah, yeah. But then I read all the synonyms because I sent her a picture of all the words. She was like, look at the synonyms. 
So I look at the synonyms and almost something like out of a movie, all of the words I had written down that day prior were in the dictionary as a synonym. Wow. I was like, what in the signs is this? So I was like, Claire, but I still wasn't convinced. I wrote it down. I looked at it and I didn't like it. She's like, what are you still like, you know, what are you not sure about? And I was like, I don't know. Like from a branding perspective, I don't know if I like the way it looks. It's just clarity, you know? So I had an idea and I was like, you know what? What if I changed the C to a K? So I wrote the name Clarity with a K on a piece of paper. And she's like, oh, that's interesting. Well, why? And I was like, I don't know. It just looks cooler. <laughs> it looks better with a K. K-L-A-R-A. I don't know. It just looks cooler. She's like, Clarity, Clarity. I said, okay. And I kept saying it out loud. Clarity, Clarity. I kept looking at it. Clarity. I was like, I kind of like this. All right. So then I immediately I went and changed my Twitter handle to Clarity. Because it was one word, Clay Davis Jr. wasn't going to fit. Back when Twitter didn't allow a certain number of characters for your handle. So I had to choose it. And I tried Clarity, and it was available. Nobody had chosen the name Clarity with a K. So I signed up, and I took it. And I made my Twitter handle immediately to Clarity. So it was Clarity for like a year. When Vine, and I would try to tweet, because I was the social media, original social media influencer back then, like tweeting. When Vine came out, I remember I was playing around the app and how my name got on the Vine app was because it was already Clarity on Twitter. I was too lazy to create a Vine account. I didn't want to sign up. So I just said connect through Twitter because I, when I first signed up, I was about to close off and never download Vine because I was like burnt out on social media apps. You know, I came from the era of MySpace and then Facebook and I was like, oh God, not another. And then Twitter came out. So I went the lazy route, created my account through Twitter because I did that. It took my Twitter handle and immediately put it on Vine. So from the very beginning, my Vine handle was Clarity. I actually forgot. I didn't realize it did that. And I just never changed it. And I meant to change it like three times to Greg Davis because, you know, I'm an actor. And if any agent or whatever finds me, I want them to take me seriously as my actor. Who is this Clarity guy? It doesn't exist. I just kept forgetting to change it. And then I started making videos and I, they eventually started getting popular, going viral. And then at that point, I remember one time Facebook posted me, they're like, here's the Vine of today. Today's Vine, Vine of the Day is by Clarity. And I was like, well, shit, it's too late now. I just kept forgetting to change it back. And my videos starting to go viral. And then at that point, everyone started associating me on my video and my comedy with Clarity. And I just never changed it. I left it alone. And that's how Clarity came about. So the, the origination of Clarity was something like, connected to spoken word and poetry and something deeper. It's not comical at all. There's nothing funny about the name Clarity, if you think about it. The irony is that he took a name that's supposed to be liberating and freeing to people and made it associated with just a bunch of global humor. That's a very interesting story. And I like the laziness where you went from Twitter to Vine. You just left it on as it became that. That's classic. Dude, like I was this close to like having my Vine account be calling Greg Davis forever. And we would have never known clarity. You would have never known clarity. <laughs> so how do you find your inspiration in your videos? It depends. Different places. Sometimes people inspire me. Headlines inspire me. My thoughts inspire me. What I see in the world and the news inspires me. How I think inspires me to make content. You know, I'm very outspoken and, and vocal, but I feel like the way to do that is sometimes to express yourself creatively. So a lot of times I've wanted things to say or takes or hot takes or you know, get my input on something. But I feel like that can go wrong sometimes. 
and you're with Kanye. So instead of just talking sometimes, you just got to create. I'm not saying how he should. I'm just saying, like, sometimes misplaced creativity and frustration with the world and how things are ran, it can come out in various forms. It can come out verbally. It can come out through your artistry. But it's got to come out. How it comes out is your choice. So that's how I draw my inspiration. I want to create videos. Like, if I see something wrong going on in the world or injustice or any kind of way, instead of talking about it or whatever, I'll make something about it to try to cope, get my therapy out the way I do it, and also get my take on it and let other people be the judge. What was your biggest video? I think my biggest video to this day is probably the, this one I did with Kevin Hart's rap out video I did. And that's probably the biggest, most watched one. People still stop me. They're like, yo, are you Clarity? Yeah. Or they'd be like, you're the one guy from the internet. I'm like, yeah. Yes, I've been with you plenty of times to get that. <laughs> See, either people know, like, oh, you're Clarity. Or they'd be like, yeah. oh, I know you. Wait, how do I know you? <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know, man. You watch Cinemax at 4 a.m.? <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I love that. Because I'm like, bro, if you're going to stop me, at least know who I am. Why are you stopping me? <laughs> <laughs> classic, classic. I'm going to start off the next question by talking a little bit about my personal thing that I went through. So right after... I met 50 and got a little success. My dad passed away. And it was one of the hardest things that I had to go through because my mentor, the greatest guy who gave me the lessons, in a sense, was then gone. And he never got an opportunity to see the success that I had. We talked about it, but he never got an opportunity. Now, you started in Vine in 2013 and soon after your father passed away. How does it make you feel? Because I know how it made me feel. How does it make you feel knowing that your father didn't really get an opportunity to see your massive success? I struggled with that question for like, for a long time. Sometimes I still think it ain't fair, but he still sees me, right? He's still with me, sees it. But yeah, he being here and seeing it is two different things. And of course, it was sucked. It was unfortunate. I was thinking about it like, man, I wish my dad was alive to see this. He sees it, but I mean alive to experience it because we had a lot of plans. A lot of things we talked about we were supposed to do just in business as father and son. Plus, the fact that he was scared or disappointed at first, I wanted him to be alive to see that it was not for him to worry about. That he didn't have to worry about. That I told him it was going to work out. I told him I was going to make it. I would always tell him this stuff. And I don't think he was really worried. I think he just wanted me to get it a certain way. But it is kind of sad and unfortunate that like, he died in the middle of my climb up in that world of social media. Like I was literally on the rise and he died. I just wish you'd have been alive to see it again, to experience all the things I experienced. He was able to experience certain things in my career. Like when I would film something, he would come out to visit me. So he saw like me be on TV because Vine happened in 2013 and I moved in 2003. So during those 10 years of struggle, you know, I had some successes and he was able to enjoy some of those experiences with me. I'm happy about that. But he didn't really stay alive long enough to really experience like everything that came with it to this day. So sometimes I wish he was here. Because um, he deserved it to even live by curiosity. It's a mouthful you just said. That's how I feel every day. Every success I have, being a father and things along those lines now, that we never did get a chance to see his grandson. He never get a chance to meet the people that I've met and gone to places that I've gone. So I can definitely empathize with that. So, Clarity, what actually happened in Vine? I think the creators of Vine created something that became bigger or not what even they expected. It goes back to that, like, people want to be blessed the way they see it in their head. They want to dictate how they're blessed, right? 
And I believe just as from being a creator and being involved in the beginning and being friends with all the other creators that kept that app alive, we felt very slighted sometimes, not really cared for, respected or cared to. Like we were the first of its kind of social media influencers. There was none before us. And so we really paved the way. Like now it's normal across every platform and every business to do this. But like in the beginning, like we had followers when having a million followers in our world was cool. I remember I told my manager at the time, I just hit a million followers. And she was like, okay, what does that do? What does that mean? I don't know know what that means. But now, even if you're a talented actor or a singer, you almost don't want to be considered if you don't have followers to go along with it. I never thought I'd see the day you know, audition for a movie or a TV show and they really ask you about your followers. I remember there was a time where that didn't matter. You get laughed at in the room. What happened to Vine was, I think these guys created an app that was supposed to be like this hipster stop motion app. These cats out of Brooklyn, these hipster dudes. The way the app evolved was like this entertainer short-term skit, which is what Instagram is, which is what Facebook is. Just curated content from creators that was for creators by creators, for the people by the people. You know, I think Vine experienced a lot of success quick, but its owners are the ones that ran that company to the ground. They didn't listen to the creators. It didn't adapt quick enough. They didn't consider monetizing the platform, which is death. And they didn't give a crap about the creators at first. Like, we would call up there, send emails, complain, whatever. They just, they catered to like a certain couple people there was no real appreciation, I believe, for its creators and what we did and were able to do. Vine failed not because it didn't have the capability. Vine failed because of its inability to adapt and to cater towards your creators and to really continue to invest into what got you there. They thought that they became successful simply because they were a cool app. And that wasn't the case. There's more things that happen on the inside that have really led to the demise. But ultimately, I just say this, Vine, it was its own ball to fumble. Vine was TikTok before there was TikTok. And TikTok is a crappy version of Vine. That's my personal opinion. Not the idea, but, and it's not a hater thing on Vine. If Vine didn't exist, I'll still say it. Like TikTok is a crappy company that failed. They were musically, Chinese-owned ran company, musically failed, ByteDance bought them, they just rebranded, they changed the name. But TikTok as an app, the interface is cheap, it's sloppy, it's congested. But look at how they're thriving. There's an absence of short form content. And that is the gaping hole that Vine left when they left. And so Twitter shut it down. I don't know if they were making money because it's like the movie Social Network, but they tried to tell Mark Zuckerberg in the beginning, like, you got to go ad based and you make this money. And the one thing I can say to them is they didn't want to do that and they wanted to keep it pure. All right. Power to the people. But like YouTube, if you partner with ads and all these different companies, like you can pay your creators and then everyone leave. But they also weren't respecting us. They didn't have any regard. We have problems. It would take so long to get back. And then we had this meeting and they had a nerve to say like Vine is popular because of the app, not because of its creators. So some people had personal vendettas to be like, oh, y'all think y'all popular without us? Okay. We'll see how long that lasts. And before you know it, Vine completely died. It was unfortunate. It was unfortunate because it had so much potential. So that's why everybody's kind of interested to see what Elon does. Because he's like been flirting with the idea of bringing it back. And if he does bring it back, that'll be some real legit competition with TikTok and other platforms. Because Vine self-imploded. No one got tired of it. It still would have been around right now.
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what Elon does with Twitter. Definitely interesting. So you transition into business. Tell me what are the businesses you're involved in right now? Right now, well, I had the fitness company, but the pandemic took that out. That's NovaFit, EMS company, electrical muscle stimulation company. We're currently in talks right now, some folks trying to revive that business, actually. Oh, we're doing all right, man. But then the pandemic completely took us out because our main business model was coming to the gym and working out. And as you know, if you lived in New York, they were banning that. So like Nova, I'm really passionate about Nova. I'm really passionate about EMS, that whole field. Then of course, you know, I got my production company. So working on different projects, we're just trying to sell that just content we shot on our own shows, movies that we developed, uh, you know, when we sold. That's what I'm working on now, a lot of business stuff. Like, so I'm just thinking about other things I want to do, like real estate, restaurants, investing, things like that. I've got a lot that I want to do. That's great to hear, Brown brother. So what's next for you in the acting world? I don't know, whatever's next, you know, when the next jobs come in or the next role, but well, I got a film coming out that I shot last summer. It should be coming out soon. Projects that I've written that production companies have or sitting with or debating on whether they're going to green light something or not. But what's next for me is what I do. I'm not waiting either. When I can, I'll fund my own productions and shoot my own things and build my own content, put that out there and then build my own production company and film studio company, all these other things in lieu of other stuff. But what's next is what's next. I don't know. Whatever the next thing is, I'm excited for it, though. I'll tell you that. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be big and it's going to be impactful and meaningful. So I just look forward to that. Who's someone who has overcome adversity, how would you define strength? I would define strength as like finding out your why. Because if you find out your why, you hold on to it even when you want to quit and you'll never quit because you thought about your why. You can overcome adversity with humility. You got to be honest with yourself. Honesty, humility, and grace. If you don't have humility and grace and confidence to go along with it, there's no point. So strength is your mental, it's your spiritual, it's physical, outward strength. But I think the thing that gives you the strength more is your why and your resolve not to quit, not to give up, right? Your mental resolve. That's what strength is. Because when you do want to quit, you got to pull from somewhere. When your cup is completely empty, the ability to pour your own cup, fill your own self back up, because it's not always going to be someone else around to fill your cup. What legacy do you want to leave behind? I just want the legacy of doing everything I was meant to do, fulfilling everything. It's easy to say like, oh yeah, leave an inheritance for my kids or houses, properties, businesses. That's easy. That's all cool. But the legacy I'll leave behind is a legacy of that I tried, that I worked hard, I worked my ass off to get everything I have with this legacy. A hardworking legacy, a determined legacy, a world-changing, world-shifting legacy, a legacy of business and smarts and world-changing and affecting the world. So where can people find you on social media? At Clarity, K-L-A-R-I-T-Y, everywhere. Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, not TikTok. <laughs> and not Cinemax. <laughs> well, Clarity, it was an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time today. Man, this was fun, man. Thank you. I appreciate you, Jay. It was an honor to be on this podcast with you and talking to you, man. And thanks for having me, you and the family at Muscle Tech. And I just appreciate it. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thanks to Greg for coming on the show and sharing how he's overcome a great deal of setbacks to find success in multiple fields. Make sure you're subscribed and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Jay Cardiello, and this has been Stories of Strength. 
personal and inspirational tales of redefined strength, presented by MuscleTech.